As you can see, we're talking about demonic possession. This is the second half of a study on angels. Uh, we talked about the faithful angels. Now we're talking about the fallen angels. And this is lesson six of our discussion about the fallen angels, more commonly known as demons. We've talked about uh, possession uh, and oppression in the life of a believer. Uh, there is a difference between demonic possession and demonic oppression. We spent a whole lot of time on this previously. I don't have time to go back and revisit all of this. There's a quote there on your outline that talks about the difference. We do know that Paul warns us that we should not allow Satan to get an advantage over us. Uh, we're told that Paul was hindered by the devil himself. Now, Paul was not possessed, and I don't believe that Christians can be possessed, but I do believe Christians can be greatly oppressed, which sometimes it, it almost looks the same. So here's Paul, the great writer of the New Testament, the great apostle. He's hindered by the devil. Well, if the devil could mess up what God was doing in Paul's life, you know he's going to try to do it in our lives. Now, Paul was still victorious. I'm not suggesting that the devil's going to win, but he isn't going to go down without a fight. And then we've seen that uh, demons can clearly oppress wayward believers. The Bible gives us numerous examples of where wayward believers are turned over to the devil as a form of punishment, even to the point of being killed by the demons. Now, I know a lot of people kind of cringe. They say, well, I don't know about... Well, John talks about, and, and there's a whole lesson that uh, we'd need to teach sometime about it. Uh, in, he talks about the sin unto death. And he tells us not to pray for someone who's committed that sin. Now, that's a sin that a Christian, I believe, can commit. And at that point, they're going to die. The penalty is going to be premature death. And Paul here seems to be either implying that, especially in the Corinthian uh, example, uh, or severe punishment by the demons working over a wayward believer to get Hymenaeus and Alexander, if they were believers, to come around to the truth. The point is... Uh, the demons can give us a hard time. This is why Paul tells us in Ephesians 4.27, don't give place to the devil. Well, if you couldn't give him place, why would he warn you not to? Well, because you can. We as Christians have to be very, very careful and remember that we're living on a battlefield, not a playground. You've heard me say that many, many times. But I'm telling you, the American church is asleep, pretty much. And many of us, from time to time, we go to sleep too. Even though we're kind of vigilant, we go to sleep. We need to remember that we have an enemy. And that enemy wants to do everything that he can do to destroy us. And this is why we're told not to give the devil an opportunity. And then we have an example in Acts chapter 5, early in the church, where I believe, there's no reason for me not to, that Ananias and Sapphira, both Christians, but they're, they're playing with... Um, uh, reputation and, and appearances, and because they lie, God strikes them dead in the church. It sends great fear across the church, and people get really serious. Christians need to remember that though we can have fun as a Christian, and we can laugh and joke, I don't think it's wrong to tell jokes. I think we ought to be some of the happiest people on the planet, but ultimately what we really have is joy, and that's, that's inward. Happiness is kind of from the outside, Joys from the inside out. But there's nothing wrong with us being happy and having a great time. But we need to remember while we're doing that, Christianity is a serious thing. And the church is an army. And we are on a battlefield. We forget that. 
And a study about demons kind of brings it all back. It reminds us that we have arch enemies. So let's, let's move now to number two on your outline. We just kind of gotten started on this last Sunday when we ran out of time. And that is, what does demonic possession, not oppression, but possession look like? Well, demonic possession, Unger says, the chief characteristic is that an automatic projection of a new personality in the victim. I've had a lot of people over the years say, you know, Dan, how, how could I recognize? Or I, we've got somebody and, and they just go through a personality switch. Well, that's not always demonic. There are mental problems that people can have. They can be schizophrenic. They can be manic depressives. And because of all of this, they can appear to have a different personality. So that's different. But I'm concerned that a lot of stuff that we write off as psychological, schizophrenia, manic depression is actually demonic possession. And I'm afraid because we don't want to talk like that, we sometimes don't go to the core of the issue. Now, in the man that you read about in passages like Mark 5, the man in the Gadarene country, there's no doubt that this guy is possessed. The Bible tells us that he is. And one of the signs is that he had unusual physical strength. We talked about that. He had fits of rage. There's another sign of demonic possession. Uh, he had a resistance to spiritual things. He didn't want to have anything to do with the Lord. Uh, he had excessive uh, clairvoyant abilities. He was able to know things that, that he shouldn't have known. So he knew that Jesus was the Son of God when the people around him didn't even know it. Uh, just because someone is able to see and know things doesn't mean that they just have a special gift. Typically, it's because they're dabbling in demonology. Now, we spent a lot of time on this last week. I'm just breezing over it. If you weren't here, go online and you can listen to the entire lesson where I go into a, to a lot more detail. Uh, and then you'll, you'll find in that passage of Scripture that the, the demoniac had a, an altered voice. Now, that particular passage doesn't say that specifically, but remember the demon inside of him speaks to Jesus. And when Jesus asks him, what is your name? The demon says, my name is Legion, because we are many. So the demons can speak, and typically whenever someone is under demonic possession, their voice will be altered. Typically it does not sound the same. I uh, just talked with a Christian that I know very well just this past week. He and his wife have adopted a little eight-year-old girl who is the daughter of the wife's brother who is a godless guy and has children by different women and is now in prison. This little girl, since she was born, has just been kicked around from here to there, finally became a ward of the state has been in one foster home into another. And as you can imagine, she has all kinds of behavioral issues at eight. It's like they're trying to hold down uh, a cougar or a, a wild cat. I mean, she just she goes into these fits of rage. Well, I talked to this person, and they'd really been struggling with her. She's already been thrown out of public school, and they've had to put her into a private school. These, the, the, the two who have adopted her are committed Christians. In fact, he is a preacher. And so he said, a few nights ago, she just had a fit. Generally, what sets her off is she doesn't get her way. And he said, 
she just went into a mad rage and was kicking stuff and throwing stuff in our house. Now, she's just moved in with them the last three or four weeks. And he said, I grabbed hold of her and had to physically restrain her for about an hour and a half. He said she was making sounds that sounded like a wild animal. She wasn't using words or English. And he said, I held her down. And of course, he said, my, he said, my wife was praying. My, my youngest son, who's still living at home, was outside praying. He said, I'm praying, but I'm holding her down. And he said, finally, she started speaking in this guttural, this voice like that, literally. And the voice said, I'm going to destroy you and your family. Referring to this man and his wife. And he said, I've never had that happen before. (laughs) And he said, I spoke out loudly. He said, I do not know to whom I am speaking, but I want you to know I'm a child of God and you can't touch a thing here. And he said, the little old girl just kind of went limp and wanted to go to bed. They took her into her bedroom. She climbed up into bed and in just a moment jumped out of the covers got on top of the bed on all fours and threw up all over the bed and has been a changed individual since. And I told him, I said, what you just did, and you didn't know it, is you probably cast out a demon. A literal demon or more than one in this little eight-year-old girl. Now, he knows that they're not out of the woods yet. He, He knows that. But he said there's been a marked change in her behavior. Now, I tell you that story because I know for a fact it's true. It's not one of these hearsay, third person. I know for a fact it's true. I tell you that story not to amaze you, not to terrify you, but to simply rock us into a position of reality where we have to realize this stuff is real. This is real. Now, I don't blame everything on the devil. I don't blame everything on a demon. That's silly. Don't do that because we live in a broken world. Some stuff just happens because it happens. You know, sometimes tires on your car go flat because they have a nail in them. It ain't a demon. Sometimes the Maytag stops working because it's 25 years old. That might have something to do with the fact that it's not working. At the same time, you've heard me testify that going from here and there doing black robe all over the country, we have faced problems that are just beyond normal. They're beyond coincidental, circumstantial. We have, we've been blessed with really good equipment, and that stuff is constantly going through weird convulsions. It's the craziest thing. It's, of course, one of the most frustrating things because normally it's happening within minutes of having to start the presentation. Let me give you one example. We bought a projector, oh, a couple of years ago. It's a very bright, it's a 20,000 lumen projector. It's about the, about the size of this pulpit right here, this, this part right here. It's $15,000. But when you're doing presentations like this, you have to have really bright projectors so you can put the image up on the screen. We hadn't had it but just a few weeks We went on a tour to Idaho. The first place we were going to present, we went there Saturday night to set up to present that next morning. That new $15,000 projector wouldn't come on. 
So I'm trying to get it to work, and finally I buzzed Dan, and I said, Dan, what do you do? So he jumped online real quick, and he said, well, the, the, the manual online says you've got to completely shut it down and reboot it. Well, it wouldn't respond. We couldn't stop it. It would just say it won't work and go to a local repair shop. Yeah, in Idaho. Come on. So I had to just forcefully unplug it, which is not good for any projector, and it sure ain't good for a $15,000 projector. Because this thing, though, is working on becoming a boat anchor real fast in my mind. So you can just imagine how upset I am. I plug it back in. Finally, after trying and trying, we got it to come on. And I thought, okay, maybe it's through its spell. We'll be okay now. Remember, this is the first event in a nine-day tour in Idaho. Next morning, we get to the church. It's about ten minutes before the presentation is to begin. We're going to boot everything up. Sound system's already up. We boot up the projector. Same thing again. I had to reboot that thing almost ten times and never knew if it was going to come on. It finally did. We fought with that thing the entire time we were in Idaho. Now you say, well, Dan, that's just a faulty projector. Okay, maybe so. That's right. But I'm just telling you, that kind of stuff happens all the time. Ask Pam if you don't believe me. I believe some of that's demonic. I believe it with all my heart. I don't want it to be demonic. I'm just telling you, I think some of it is. Why would they do that? Well, because this message could awaken the pulpit in America. I couldn't awaken the pulpit, but the truth can. Well, if I was the devil, I'd fight it too. All right, there's a quote here um, out of uh, uh, Luke 9, verse um, 39 and 42. You've got it there on your um, uh, outline and let's look at this passage, and, and somehow I didn't get the quote to pop up, so it must be on your outline there. I hope it is. If it isn't, I'll have to give it to you later. Is it not? Okay, well, Pam messed up. On, on Luke chapter 9, Luke chapter 9, we have this story of a child. Now, you know, we, we have a problem sometimes believing that children could be possessed. Well, I just told you a story. You say, well, that's anecdotal. Well, it is. I, I'll grant you that. But I believe it's just as real as I am. But here's a story out of Scripture. This man brought his son to Jesus. And listen to what the man said about the son. A spirit seizes him, and he suddenly screams. And it throws him into a convulsion with foaming at the mouth. And only with difficulty does it leave him, mauling him as it leaves. While he was still approaching, the demon slammed him to the ground and threw him into a convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the boy... And gave him back to his father. You say, well, how in the world would a child have gotten so much into demonism that they might be possessed? Well, unfortunately, there's something called family sin that we'll talk about here in just a little while that can sometimes affect children. And we'll look at what the Bible has to say about that. But I just want you to see that the Bible declares this just as real as the gospel. Now, I'm not an exorcist. I'm not an authority on demonism. But I can tell you, I know what God's word says. And this is a real deal. Now, let's look at some other characteristics that are not necessarily in specific passages of scripture. But you, when you read all of these, uh, you, can, you can see it. And um, 
these are, oh, oh, okay, now I know why that heading was. I said there's a quote. These are out of Unger's book, Demons in the World Today. So let me clarify so we, we, we find our way here again. He lists some signs of demonism. Some of them we've, we've already talked about a little bit. Projection of new personality. Supernatural knowledge. Now, that's more than clairvoyance. They actually know things that they shouldn't know. You have seen some of these uh, detective shows where a, um, uh, a, a, a witch or somebody can, can go into a trance and tell the, the, the detectives stuff about a crime that they never saw happen and weren't anywhere near it. How in the world could they know that? Well, they must be able to see this stuff. No, it's a demon telling them. The demon was there. I mean, it's, it's not like witchcraft and seancing and all that kind of stuff is real in that these people are supernatural. They've just got demons in them. And the demons are doing all that stuff. So if a demon was at a murder 50 years ago, and then that demon knows that he could further his cause by giving some special inside information to a witch who's being interviewed by detectives, well, wouldn't it serve him well to give that witch special information that these, she then coughs up to the detectives. They go, oh, well, well, I guess these, these, uh, these witches and seancers and all that, these, these people are the real deal. When all it is is a demon. Special knowledge. You'll find that as one of the examples. Uh, Unger goes on to say, in other cases, there will be deep moral depravity. Not a sinner. We're not talking about a person being a sinner. We're talking about deep depravity. There will also be deep melancholy. Most people who are possessed by demons battle with depression. This is why I say we have to be very, very careful, especially physicians and psychologists and all. They have to be very, very careful about just diagnosing somebody as manic depressive or whatever. They may be. The mind can get just as sick as the liver can. But sometimes the symptoms that they're treating are not physical or psychosomatic. They're spiritual. And so deep melancholy is often a sign of demonic possession. Malevolent or, or ferocious behavior. So if, if, you, if you see someone that is just, um, well, they're just out of control. And they're always mad. And they're always wanting to fight. And they just lose control. You know, a lot of people say, well, I just can't control my temper. Well, it could be that you can't control that demon. Now, you can have a temper. And just because you don't, necessarily control your temper doesn't mean you're demonically possessed so don't misunderstand because i know wives right now are thinking of their husbands and they're and all these women are saying good grief all these men are possessed some of them probably are but anyway we're not talking here about just someone who has a hot temper and sometimes they lose it we're talking about someone that just goes into fits of rage and anger another thing that he uh, he noted Remember, Unger is a, is a pretty solid theologian from years ago. So he's a pretty reliable source. He says, spells of unconsciousness will often mark someone who is possessed. Just for no reason, they just kind of go out. The story I was telling you a while ago about the little girl. Remember, she said she wanted to go to bed. She, and, and she was just about to conk out. And then all of a sudden, she convulses. This is, this is not uncommon. Foaming at the mouth is not uncommon. It's very, very common. You'll see it in Scripture. We just read the passage in Luke 9 where the little boy that was possessed, sometimes the demon would cause him to foam at the mouth. Now, sometimes that's an epileptic seizure. 
So we have to be smart enough to know the difference. Epilepsy is not necessarily demonic, but the Bible says that sometimes demons cause epilepsy. That's actually in Scripture. So we have to be very, very careful and discerning because if, if we're not, we'll just medicate people. And unfortunately, some in the medical field who are not believers, that's kind of their go-to uh, treatment. We just medicate them. Well, that may tamp down the symptoms visibly, but that doesn't fix the problem. This person is demonized. And so one of the reasons they're foaming at the mouth, or maybe one of the reasons they have epilepsy, is not physical. It's spiritual. Now, we live in the same world that Jesus visited some 2,000 years ago. The demons are still running loose. They're not better than they were then. They haven't been reformed. They haven't been attending Sunday school, and now they're better, so they're not as mean. In fact, as you read Scripture, you find that as we approach the end, the devil will get more ferocious. The demons will get more vicious, not less. So I suspect that if we are living toward the end of God's plan on the earth, or if we get there and we're all alive, we will see increased demonic activity, not decreased. But you see, we live in such a world of reason that we'll just try to explain it away. Well, it's their environment. Well, they're just in a bad environment. Well, a bad environment can really cause bad behavior and bad characteristics. I I get that. Sometimes that can be it. But environment can't be all of it because Adam and Eve were in the perfect environment and they rebelled against God. We've all known people who grew up in a good situation and they went bad. We've also all known people who grew up in terrible situations and God's done incredible things with them. One of the greatest men that I know that I've had the privilege of serving with in the ministry lives in southeast Oklahoma and he had one of the worst childhoods you can ever imagine. Ever imagine. And he's one of the most godly men I've ever known in the ministry. He's, he's one of my best friends in the world. And I could call on Rick at any moment. And he'd drop everything. Visited with him just a couple of weeks ago. So environment can affect people. But we need to get beyond that. And realize that what we could be talking about. Is something incredibly evil. That's causing these people to do this. Now there are others Besides Unger, here is a German theologian by the the name of Koch, uh, Kurt Koch, and he lists some other symptoms or characteristics that we haven't talked about so far specifically. One of the things that he notes, among all the others, I'm trying to take the common denominators of all these guys, is resistance to prayer or Bible reading. One of the things that will happen is if a person is, is possessed... They will go into fits of rage if you start praying for them, or you start praying around them, or you start reading Scripture, which makes total sense, right? And so he notes that that's one of the symptoms. Another one is that they can fall into trances during prayer. So as they're hearing prayers, they will go into this kind of glassy-eyed trance. Now, I don't want to be indelicate with what I'm about to say, but I want to be as honest as I can be. There are many so-called Christian movements 
who encourage people to practice stuff like this in their worship and in their prayer time. Now, I'm not saying these people are demonically possessed, but what I'm telling you is that is a breeding bed for demonic activity when you've got people who are practicing weird stuff. Because you're always going to have church people who are not child of God people who are open and vulnerable to demonic attacks in those gatherings and the demons just replicate stuff that people are doing from the stage and everybody writes it off as spiritual when some of it certainly is, but it's the other side. And we better be very, very extremely discerning when we are hooked up with different groups. I've been in some events before or watched some events I can tell you, I'm not so sure all of that was God. I think it was real, but I don't think all of it was God. I've even played for you examples of some of these leaders who say things that are completely unbiblical, and not only unbiblical, but actually heretical. I mean, if you'll think back to some of the recordings, I've, I've got recordings of Kenneth Copeland saying that when Adam named the animals, he didn't name them. He was giving life to them. He was breathing life. And what? Well, that all has to do with we have the word of faith and the power to speak our world into existence. And they extrapolate. And so Adam wasn't just naming animals. He was bringing them to life. Well, guys, that's actually heretical. That man has the ability to speak life. That's God. But see, when you believe in the little God doctrine that we're all, when we're Christians, we become little gods and goddesses. They literally teach that. That you're a little God. Uh, Paul Crouch used to constantly say that he was a little God. And, you know, critics be gone. He, I've, got, I've got all these. You need to be very, very extremely careful. Because some stuff that may look spiritual is, but it's the wrong spirit. Now, I'm not saying that everybody in a more charismatic Pentecostal background are unsaved and demonically possessed. Please don't hear me to be saying that. I was just in a church in Baton Rouge a few weeks ago of a pastor that's one of the greatest patriots I've ever met. His name is Tony Spell, and he's been arrested 33 times in Baton Rouge, Louisiana because he won't close his church. Now, that church is rambunctious when they worship. I mean, they are rambunctious. Those folks are going to get to heaven if they don't run past it. But I'm telling you, it, it is, it is a, a great deal. Those people are as sincere as we are. Now, they may have a little way that they do things, and that's okay. And I, I, you know, I personally have some kind of biblical doctrinal issues with some of that. But none of it's heretical. It may be not for me. So I'm not talking about that. I have a good friend who's an Assembly of God preacher over in the eastern part of the state. So don't, don't misunderstand. John Bennett is a good friend of mine. He's a Pentecostal preacher. He was just elected the uh, chair of the Republican Party of Oklahoma. John's Pentecostal. I serve in the legislature with John. He's as true as they get. Now, I hope he does a good job. I believe he will. But So don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying here that just because it's something that I don't quite agree with, well, then it's demonic. No, no, no. Don't ever make that mistake. Be careful that you don't call something of God of the devil. That's a serious sin, by the way. All I'm saying here is that we have to guard against some of this stuff. Another characteristic, negative reaction to the name of Jesus. When they hear the name of Jesus, as you can well imagine, they will sometimes go into a frenzy. Now, let's go beyond theologians, and let's look at some of uh, what Christian psychiatrists or, or psychologists, and we're talking about Christian, not Freudian, Christian 
uh, uh, psychologists who study personality and the way people's minds and characteristics and personalities work, some of the things that they've seen. Uh, Alfred uh, uh, Lechler is, is a good source. Uh, they list things like passion for lying and impure thoughts. Well, okay, we can all have impure thoughts, but these people are over the top. Uh, restlessness. Well, some people are just restless. I'm, I'm kind of like that. I mean, I'm always fiddling with something or, you know, doing this with my leg or whatever. I mean, we're, not talk- we're talking about people that just can't sit still even when they're in a place where they could. Something's wrong. Something here is supernatural. Fear. They're, they're just possessed with fear. You know, the Bible says that God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of love and a sound mind. Even if you're not even demonically oppressed as a Christian, but if you are captivated by fear, I promise you that's demonic. I don't mean you're possessed. I'm just telling you the demons are using that to try to make you ineffective for God by being just frozen with fear. Don't allow fear to freeze you. God has not given you the spirit of fear. Compulsion, uh, 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 compulsion to rebel against God or blaspheme. That's, a, that's another sign. Some of these, you know, would be pretty obvious. Violence and cursing. Uh, the example that I told you of the husband and wife that I know, this little girl, he said, had curse words coming out of her mouth at the age of eight that you typically don't hear until you hear sailors at the age of 20. <laughs> she was dropping the F-bomb on them. Little eight-year-old girl. F this and F that. And I'm going to F this to your family. and I'm. A... Where's that coming from? Right there. Excessive sexual or sensual cravings. Now, everybody is tempted... Some of us have greater weaknesses in different areas. Some have a greater weakness for uh, sins of the appetite. So it doesn't mean just because you battle with that that you're demonically possessed or oppressed. But people who are demonically possessed seem to be just overwhelmed. And you'll find in the occult lots of excessive and very aberrant sexual behavior. Uh, Resistance and hatred of spiritual things. Inability to pronounce or write the name of Jesus. This is coming from Christian counselors. Resistance to Christian counsel. So when they're trying to... They, oh, I don't hear that. Inability to renounce the works of the devil. Literally won't, can't. Uh, seizures. Uh, and then uh, molestation with pain unrelated to illnesses or injuries. So they either have unexplained pains or they cause themselves. They'll cut themselves and cause themselves to, to hurt. Why in the world would anybody want to do that? It's demonic. Remember that the devil hates you. The thief has come to kill and to steal and to destroy. And his primary target is the church and true believers. So he wants to destroy you any way that he can. So these are some characteristics. I realize that as you, when you complete all that, that's a pretty long list. But if you begin to see these things characteristic in a person, and they're, they're, they're manifesting in a way that's kind of over the top, there's a good possibility that that person is demonically possessed. That's scary. I get it. I understand. It's weird, spooky, all that stuff. But this is the world we live in because it's demonized. And the sooner we come to understand that, the better off that we are, as chilly as it may make us 
you know. It kind of sends the shivers up your spine, but it's the real deal. And that little eight-year-old girl that I've told you the story about, Jesus died for her. She has her entire life in front of her, but she's gotten a terrible start. And somebody who understands this needs to interpose for her spiritually. And that couple have taken her on knowing the challenges. Thank God for them. Nobody wants that. Who would want those episodes? But they're the only hope that little eight-year-old girl has. Now, of course, it's Jesus ultimately, but Jesus through them. So we, we need not fear this. We need not run away from it. There's people all over this world that are demonized, and they're having, maybe not all, but some of these symptoms. And we're called to rescue the perishing and care for the dying, and it's not always in a sterilized environment. Generally, it's the opposite. It's in a filthy world of wickedness that the New Testament says you, 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 you reach down and you save them out of their filth, even staying as far away as you can from the garment spotted by the flesh. It's real. It's real. So let's go to the last thing and then we'll be done today. Causes for demonic possession. Let's go back to Unger. I think he's a good source. He says, in the great majority of cases, possession is doubtless to be traced to yielding voluntarily to temptation and to sin. Initially weakening the human will so that it is rendered susceptible to complete or partial eclipse and subjugation by the possessing spirit. Back in the 60s and 70s, uh, young people were experimenting a lot with acid, LSD, and other um, hallucinogenic uh, drugs and all these hallucinogens that they were taking. And they were practicing something that's called astral projection. And they thought it was really cool. A lot of folks said, well, that's just, that's just pretend. Well, no, it isn't. That, that practice actually comes from ancient Eastern mysticism. It's a weird state that you can be in where you can literally kind of be out of body. You say, well, why would people get getting mixed up and all that kind of stuff? Why would they want to do that? Well, just imagine if you were a demon and the doorkeeper is the mind and the spirit, but the mind and the spirit are disengaged. What would that give you? A wide open door to possess them. And I believe many young people in the 60s and 70s were possessed messing with those drugs that they were using and all the stuff they got mixed up. Because that, that movement also got deeply into Eastern mysticism. You remember, remember the Beatles and how weird George Harrison and all those? And you know he sang the song, My Sweet Lord. And I said, oh, that's a Christian song. Well, if you listen closely, he says, My Sweet Lord. And he starts singing Hare Krishna in the song. It, it was a song glorifying a demon god. So then, what would cause someone to become possessed more than just being tempted and sinning? Because, well, from time to time, sin. Well, continued exposure to and practice of vile sins. This is one of the things that has always concerned me about what we allow our young adults to consume. Whether it's videos or movies or YouTube you know, when, when I was younger, my brother and I were traveling around doing a seminar on what was happening through rock music, especially heavy metal and what they were calling in those days satanic rock. 
And we were just trying to get parents to realize the lyrics of the songs that they were letting their kids digest on a regular basis, six and eight hours a day. Having that stuff preached down into them. Songs about suicide, and then they were surprised when young people were committing suicide. Well, uh, their, their heroes were writing songs telling them to do it. Some of you remember the group Blue Oyster Cult. They did a song entitled Don't Fear the Reaper. It was all about a young man and a young lady committing suicide together. And young people were going out and doing it. And what was terrible and vile in the late 70s and early 80s is innocent compared to the stuff that's available today. Our young people are exposed to this constantly. Constantly. Idolatry. We don't have time to go into it. We've looked at other passages that that call idols demons. So idolatry is demonism. Uh, So idolatry. You say, well, we don't worship any idols. Oh, really? Now, wait just a minute. What about that boat? Uh, what, What about your hobby? What about your job? Just remember, there's nothing necessarily evil about a boat or a race car or your job or anything or your hobby. I'm telling you, idols come in forms other than in the shape of Buddha or some other talisman or whatever. Idolatry. Uh, Obviously, dabbling in the occult. I mean, that's kind of a duh. You know, you dabble in the occult. You say, well, you know, that's just a fringe. It's not. There are young people who think it's really cool to mess around. We'll talk in the last lesson, uh, probably starting next week, about what that looks like. Uh, Now, parental sins. I mentioned this early on. Now, I don't know all I need to know about this. I've studied it for years. I've read some pretty good sources on it. I do have a problem with someone else suffering from someone else's sin. But when it comes to parents and family, there is something that the Bible says that I think we need to take to heart. It's in the book of Exodus chapter 20. That's where you find the Ten Commandments. And in the Ten Commandments, one of the things that we're told not to do is to worship idols, to have any other God, no idolatry. Or any likeness of what is in heaven, God said above, or on the earth beneath, or in the water under the earth. He says, you shall not worship them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, now here's the catchphrase, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me. I have an entire sermon and teaching on removing the bents, B-E-N-T-S, from your family tree. Now, I don't have time to go into it this morning except to say that a bent biblically, it's where you have a straight bar and you bend it. It's not straight anymore. And the Bible talks about the iniquities. And when he says visiting the iniquity of the fathers, that's actually the same word that could be translated bent. B-E-N-T-S, plural. What's he talking about there? I think he's talking about sinful practices and attitudes and vulnerabilities and inclinations from one generation to the next. And he says, I'll do it to the third and fourth generation. Now, again, I don't have time to do it this morning. And if enough of you are interested, maybe next week we'll kind of take a little left turn and go, well, it need to be a right turn and, and, and go look at it. But I can show you in Scripture where in the family of Abraham, that very thing, you can trace it through four generations at least. One particular bent that each generation dealt with. 
Look at your own family, and I'll bet you, you'll find certain sinful practices that are being passed down from one generation to the next. I've looked at my own family, and I know for a fact. I don't have any more time to deal with it than that, except to say, that's probably how that little boy that in Luke 9, the the father brought to Jesus had become possessed. Could be something in the family. It's been practiced, and, and he was just sucked into it. And then the, uh, the Mark 9 uh, passage deals with the same thing. Little boy uh, uh, foaming at the mouth, same story. Uh, it's happened from childhood. So it's from his earliest days. And I know that, that we find that hard to, to, to accept. It's found in Scripture. And I do believe there's something to it. Much more needs to be said about that. I realize I just kind of tickled the ear with that and then we're having to stop because we're out of time but I do want to deal with that in the future because um, it's a teaching that a lot of people don't understand and because of it their families are plagued I'll just tell you what my family's is deep and bitter unforgiveness I've been able to trace it back on my grandmother's side on my mother's side of the family uh, way back through multiple generations and you know I looked at my own life and I have the same vulnerability And so I've had to be very proactive to keep that from happening because I've watched it in my mother, my grandmother, her mother. It's terrible. It's a bent that's been passed down through my family. And I've made the decision, the bent stops here. We'll talk about that in a future lesson, okay? All right, thank you so much, guys. We are dismissed. Uh, Stick around. We'll have worship service here in about 15 minutes.